Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. This is wonderful. And this is Rachel and Griffin McElroy, a real married couple. A lot of people <laughs> have been saying yeah. in the tabloids, they're not a real married couple. No, we are. They're business associates who are doing a, a big play pretend. We have a wedding certificate. We have a wedding certificate. We have two kids. Obviously, you can have kids if you're not married. I would say the wedding certificate is probably the best clue that we're married. It is a legal document. Yeah. You can't just print those out on your printer. You can't just go on Microsoft Word and put it in, you know, <laughs> landscape mode and then write you probably could. wedding certificate. You know, I keep calling it a wedding certificate. It's a marriage certificate. I think you don't get a special certificate for when you have a wedding. <laughs> you take this, you, so when you get married, this show we'll talk about things that are good, things we like, things we're into. And, and also the marriage process. And the marriage process. When you get married, you do have to take a test, an exam. Ooh, I like this. And once you do that, you get your license, your marriage license. <laughs> you, you, it's more of a permit at first for you to try things out for 18 months. I'm just picturing an old man sitting next to us being like, well, you got six, but you, you really fell apart on two of them. And so I'm going to need you to take the test again. When I got my DC driver's license, I was like right next to a teen who was taking his, uh, his, his like written exam yeah. for the driving test. And, he stood up and just walked up to the counter right next to me and just said, hey, I failed. And they'll be like, all right, you can come back and take it in four days. He's like, all right, see you then. It was such a chill, like, hey, I failed. I wish I had that kind of like courage of my convictions <laughs> that when I fuck up, I can just own it that casually. I know, no, no tears, no, no, tears, no shame. No regrets, four days, okay. What is that, Thursday? Okay, I'll see you then. <laughs> Do you have any small wonders? Uh, we should talk about the show we are watching. Yeah, I was going to bring it. I think maybe this is a joint small wonder because I could talk about this show for ages. It's Physical 100. I always forget what the name of it is. It's called Physical colon 100. it's not really an intuitive name. Maybe, maybe the translation makes it a little. Maybe the translation. Yeah. This is a, a Korean reality competition show. Uh, that is, I would say, equal parts uh, American Gladiators and Squid Game. Now, listen, I know you're hearing that and you think, is this the Squid Game adaptation that Netflix was working on that was a real reality show where like a bunch of people got seriously injured and then they were like, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't one that we should recreate. Maybe we're taking the wrong lesson from the Netflix television show Squid Game. It's not that. In this one, a hundred very physically fit people from a lot of different disciplines. Exactly. That's what makes it interesting, right? Is there are all types of athletes in this world and some of them are, you know, bigger. Some of them are leaner. You know, you get to see yes. all of them compete together with their various like, you know, talents. Right. So there's, uh, you know bodybuilders and weightlifters there's mma fighters there are gymnasts there's a lot a, of crossfit a people a lot of crossfit people uh some like uh there's a dude who everybody on the show is obsessed with who is an olympic skeleton uh racer uh who just like everybody is just talking about his physique constantly <laughs> yeah. there's a tone of the show that is deeply supportive like all of the the people are just constantly gassing each other up 
uh, because of their tremendous sort of athletic prowess in in all of these different forms and permutations that it takes. And I really enjoy that. We had a conversation about if this was like an American show, same concept, if it would have the same vibe of people like, man, your body looks really, really cool. Because I feel like the American culture of reality television is centered around backstabbing. You know, like like there's a competitiveness pretty frequently in like reality TV shows here that suggests like not only do you want to win, but you want to take out your competition. Right. It's just it's it's a very well designed show. It has uh, a a lot that the challenges are all very neat and like they measure lots of different kinds of like athleticism, yeah. which uh, makes makes the whole thing work. I was telling Griffin, it gave me a, like a new appreciation for athleticism because you really see the mental toughness associated with yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Like the discipline, like a lot of times you'll look at somebody who's strong and you'll think like, wow, I bet they lifted a lot of heavy things. You don't necessarily think like the dedication that took and the like commitment to a very challenging schedule sure yeah there's there's an element of like jocks are just body nerds is basically kind of what this (laughs) show that's a really apt uh description i think dabbles in like it 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 it, it, uh, disassociates itself from a lot of the kind of like toxicity that you would would assume would be kind of like pervasive in a, a a thing like this it's genuinely a very refreshing show that is just very uh it's just a sort of celebration of uh of discipline and athleticism and i i I realize that it probably sounds like i'm describing all sports um (laughs) but i I think what it really has working for it is that it is built around just constant david versus goliath like situations well and i will also say it moves quickly because at first i was like a hundred people the show is going to take forever but like one of the first challenges they get rid of 50 and then the next one it's like 25 right they they keep get through through cutting and i I will say if you have seen squid game i think that it uh that some of the background vibe uh is kind of recognizable um you have not and i have which has sort of lended a, an interesting element to to our watch of physical one yeah because a lot of times i'll be like oh wow they have a team challenge and griffin's like yeah actually in squid game yeah, yeah yeah um but it's not like a licensed show or product or anything like that uh it's great it's on netflix they there's six episodes of it out now and they're dropping two a week which is not nearly enough (laughs) for us i don't think well especially because we're in the all-star break for hockey so it's been like almost two weeks since we've watched you know what i found out there are other teams playing right now i saw that last night i don't know why the blues are have this extended break i I mean hopefully it's good for them because they are not a great team lately no they're bad they're doing a bad job yeah one might say one might say they're doing a bad job. They're in a place where their playoff chances are so slim that yeah. most of the fan base has has turned to a they should take a dive so that they can do a better uh, have a better <laughs> chance of getting an early draft pick. We'll see uh, how that plays out. I don't want that to happen. Obviously, I want them to get some big, big nasty boys yeah. for next season, but I also don't want them to lose the remaining what thirty games that are left in the season. Yeah. So. Um, you go first this week. Yes. What do you got? I see you're holding a book. So I'm going to assume you're not talking about um, 
a music or a video games, which you usually, those are your two main sort of <laughs> Yeah, that's me all mediums. over. Uh, no, I realized it had been quite a while since we had been to the Poetry Corner. Go on, go on. Evidenced by the fact that I have forgotten the intro walk walk up music. <laughs> the intro that we use bum, every bum, single bum, time. Bum, 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 the poetry calling to Skrallinsk. Um, so my poet for this episode is Donald Hall. Oh, yeah. He, um, I actually came upon him. He has edited poetry anthologies before. Okay. So before I'd really read any of his work, I like saw his name on the cover of anthologies that I either purchased or read in school. Yeah. Um, but I was excited to bring him. Because when I researched him, I, well, I, well, first I found a poem I liked by him. Um, I got this anthology. It's called Joy. And it's got a uh, hundred poems in it that are all like, you know, like good spirited, I that's, guess. That's nice. Yeah. It's kind of a perfect fit for this show. So I was excited when I found it. Um, but I did research on him and I realized he was married to another famous poet, Jane Kenyon. Oh, sure. Uh <laughs> And I'm always fascinated by people that are married that had that do the same job. Yeah, sure. I feel like here in D.C. we've met a lot of lawyers that are married to other lawyers. Yeah. Uh, well, you know how it is like when you're debating like that in front of the judge, uh-huh. and the jury, uh-huh. the, the sparks, the flames, that, that, that friction. Mm. <laughs> I mean, not all lawyers are trial lawyers. Well, sometimes it's it's across a table, you know, and there's papers and you're like, ooh, ooh even more intimate. <laughs> we should order dinner. This could take a while. <laughs> kiss, 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 kiss. Uh, and I think my research seems to indicate that Donald Hall and Jane Kenyon were perhaps uh, among the greatest poetry uh, couple Poetry lover, couple partners. Poetry lovers. Poetry lovers. I see. I, want, I didn't want to that make it. That sounds like I know. you're a poetry lover. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the great poet romances, I think, That's of good. all time. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to talk mostly about Donald Hall because that is a poem I found for okay. today. Uh, so Donald Hall uh, was born 1928 in Connecticut and then went to Harvard and when he was at Harvard, some of his other like classmates included Adrian Rich, Robert Bly, Frank O'Hara, and John Ashbery. Uh, I think I have, if not brought all, most of I those poets. I recognize most of those names, yeah. which is wild. <laughs> it's crazy to think that there was that community of people, and then they all blew up. I mean, blew up again, a relative. Yeah, sure. <laughs> They weren't getting stopped on the street necessarily, but it's just, it's always exciting when you find out about those little pockets of like creative people that are all kind of getting started at the same time and then they just have tremendous success. Yeah. The Uh, the brat pack of poetry. Donald Hall kind of checked every box that a poet can check. Uh, He was the editor of a literary magazine. Uh, He was a professor of English at the University of Michigan, which is where he met Jane Kenyon, by the way. Uh, he was a poet laureate, um, in, I believe 2006, 
Um, he also got Guggenheim fellowships. Um, he wrote children's books. He wrote uh, essays, uh, and he edited poetry anthologies. It's difficult to think of a like a poety thing that he didn't. Yeah, there are no worlds accomplish. left to, to conquer for Donald. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to talk about Jane Kenyon for a minute. So they met, from what I can tell, she was not his student, but she did attend as a student while he was a professor at University of Michigan. So she, uh, is 20 years younger than him. Um, and that is significant because, uh. It's two decades. <laughs> Yes, that does make it significant. It's significant because it's a <laughs> tremendous span of time. <laughs> it is. I'm always hesitant to talk about these like May December romances in a critical way because I mean, you know Love is love. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. 20, twenty years. years. <laughs> <laughs> uh so I bring that up because it makes kind of what happened next in their relationship kind of all the more tragic. Um so he, in 1989, Donald Hall was diagnosed with colon cancer, and even though his chances of survival were really slim, he ended up going into remission. And then, like, five years later, Jane Kenyon was diagnosed with leukemia and died only 15 months later Ugh. at the age 47. God. So this was, like, devastating for him, and a lot of his books following were kind of working through that grief. Um what was interesting is in those last months of her life, they were putting together an anthology of her work. And at the time, she was kind of commenting on his health issues, which I just mentioned with the colon cancer. So I wanted to read one of her poems about his illness and then read his poem kind of about her because I think there's like, you appreciate his more if you have read hers. okay. Uh, So her poem is Afternoon at McDowell. On a windy summer day, the well-dressed trustees occupy the first row under the yellow and white striped canopy. Their drive for capital is over, and for a while, this refuge is secure. Thin after your second surgery, you wear the gray summer suit we bought eight years ago for momentous occasions in warm weather. My hands rest in my lap under the fine cotton shawl embroidered with mirrors that we bargained for last fall in Bombay, unaware of your sickness. The legs of our chairs poke holes in the lawn. The sun goes in and out of the grand clouds, making the air alive with golden light. And then, as if heaven's spirits have fallen, everything's somber again. After music and poetry, we walk to the car. I believe in the miracles of art, but what prodigy will keep you safe beside me? Fumbling with the radio while you drive to find late innings of a Red Sox game. I feel like you Trojan horsed this book a little (laughs) bit with your book of joy. Here's the thing. The reason I read that poem, one, it's an incredible poem. It's incredibly good. Two, his poem that I'm about to read has some kind of similar themes and energy, which makes it like a really sweet kind of response to her poem. I have not read an essay or like theory making this connection. This is an original Rachel perspective. Okay. Uh, So the poem I'm going to- World (laughs) exclusive. Thank you. 
welcome. The poem I'm going to read by Donald Hall is called Summer Kitchen, uh, which he wrote uh, a few years after her passing. In June's high light, she stood at the sink with a glass of wine and listened for the bobolink and crushed garlic in late sunshine. I watched her cooking from my chair. She pressed her lips together, reached for kitchenware, and tasted sauce from her fingertips. It's ready now. Come on, she said. You light the candle. We ate and talked and went to bed and slept. It was a miracle. That's... That's really good. Isn't that lovely? Mm -hmm. It's lovely in the context of her poem, particularly because they both use the word miracle, and her miracle is kind of in the context of, you know, poetry and art and this kind of high concept, you know, of like what is spectacular. And then his is just kind of like we had an incredible life, and that was a miracle too. Yeah. Oh, so good. I have a little jar where I keep the sound you make when you do an air horn noise, and I want to very carefully crack <laughs> that open and have you put in the way you say the word miracle, because um, it's 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 really <laughs> really really doing it for me. I don't think I know that I say it unusually. Try again. Now you're thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. Now I can't do it. Do I do I put a pronunciation Mer- miracle? Oh, do I say like mare more than mere? Yeah, I like it though. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know think if that's regional as, or not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think of you as having an accent, but that those were two lovely poems. Yeah, it's kind of a bonus poetry corner in a way. Yeah, so, bopo. <laughs> bopo. That's what we call them. Can I steal you away? Yes. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be 
the same list as everybody else's with the Julia <laughs> Styles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can you can sell? Uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain Oh, Russ. Hey, hey. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I found you in line. These clouds are really freaking me out. I hate having to stand in line. And boy, what a line. These giraffes do not smell good. No, they do not. And they have such short necks. But I'm hearing we need to get on this we ark. we got to get on the ark. It yeah. is about to rain. God is about to destroy humanity. Hey, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Are you Noah? Yeah, I know we look like humans, but we're actually, <laughs> yes, we're <totally>. podcasters. <laughs> we are podcasters, so it's different. Have you heard of Ono, Ross, and Carrie? We investigate spirituality, claims of the paranormal, stuff like that. And you have a boat and say the world's going to end, so seem like something for us to check out. We would love to be on the boat. We came two by two. What do you think? Ono, Ross, and Carrie, available on MaximumFun.org. Oh my gosh, hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. I'm excited about mine. I found out about mine at a museum when we went to the the Museum of American History. Can I say how proud of us I am for like how many museums we've hit in the short time we've lived here? I think we're doing a pretty good. We're We're keeping a pretty pretty good good. Yeah, We've hit a lot of the Smithsonian's. I think we're, we, I haven't been to a lot of the art ones. I know, and I'm desperate to go. I know. Well, it's, it's, it's hard. I, I don't know that the, when you go to a American History Museum or a Natural History Museum or Air and Space Museum, like it's it's interactive in a way for children that is good for us. Uh, I don't know so much that they would be able to hang in a you know. We went to the portrait gallery for like eight minutes uh, before we had to. Yeah, I did the National Gallery of Art when my friend Ariel was in town with both boys, and it was a little stressful because you have to make sure they don't touch things. Yes. Um, but I thought they did pretty well. Yeah. So uh, at the National Museum of American History, great interactive exhibit where uh, Henry and I learned about Susan Kerr, uh, who is a graphic designer who is responsible for making some of the most iconic icons 
in the history of of graphical user interfaces for computers. <laughs> yeah, that was actually that was a really cool little little exhibit yeah. within the larger exhibit. Yeah, it was like a, they have these little um, like panels with uh, squares that you can flip over between white and black. And yeah, it's almost like a, like a yeah. mosaic kind yeah. of uh, uh, simple sort of icons that then it gets digitized in the computer. It's very cool. Henry was really into it. And so was I. <laughs> and I also learned about Susan Kerr, which is great. So uh, Susan Kerr is an artist. Her background involved a pretty diverse lineup of different kind of artistic disciplines, uh, like sculpture. And she did some curation for museums. Um, and she also did some sort of like exploration of kind of super early digital art. But it wasn't like a big focus uh, of her background. And then in 1982, she was working as a, a, a sculptor. She got a cold call. Uh, from Andy Hertzfeld, who was uh, an old classmate of hers and also uh, worked at Apple as uh, one of the original team members on their Apple Macintosh dev team. Um, very brief sort of sprinting history of Apple. The Macintosh was uh, meant to be designed as like, and Apple has done this so many times throughout its uh, its history, this super accessible family computer right like the apple and apple II were kind of that but the macintosh was meant to be like the one that you could use without any kind of background in computer sciences yeah. whatsoever which is how they ended up in like every elementary school across the country yeah and it really springboarded apple to be the company that it is today right so the whole idea is the macintosh is that it was supposed to be this accessible thing right and despite the fact that she didn't have you know, this this extensive background doing like pixel artwork specifically, she crushed the brief that was given to her of creating an entire visual language of accessible and understandable uh, user interface design. So she leaned mostly on her knowledge of like mosaic art and needlepoint that her mom taught her. Uh, she after she got this this uh, job from Andy Hertzfeld, she went and she bought a pad of graph paper and began designing these icons in just a 32 by 32 square grid, filling in squares uh, with with her pencil to create some really uh, like important designs. It's really important to note, like, and this is a uh, something that I think is probably alien completely to uh, people who are of a younger generation than us. That like graphical user interface was kind of a novel idea at at this point, like. Uh, before this, it was a lot of like navigating through your computer using console commands and kind of like having to know the language, the written language of the computer in order to use it correctly, right? This idea of like, here's a desktop with icons on it. And you click on the icon to launch the program and then you click on the icon to do the thing that you want inside the program. Like all of that was a, a fairly new idea when the Apple Macintosh came around. Um, and so this job that she had was pretty pioneering, right? And it wasn't just pioneering, it was really tough because a lot of the verbs that she was tasked with translating into iconography are pretty abstract, right? Or at least they were in 1982. So you think of things like, what is what does it look like to save something? Now we know, of course, it's, a, it's an icon of a floppy disk. We know that because she fucking knocked it out. Yeah. She cracked the case, right? What does it mean to delete stuff trash can right uh scissors uh became or cut became scissors um when you first loaded up the macintosh 
uh, the first icon that you saw was just a friendly little computer, just a representation of the Macintosh computer with a smile on it. I bet she was really good at Pictionary. I bet she fucking destroyed <laughs> at Pictionary. Uh, when something went wrong, when there was like an error code for the Apple Macintosh, it was just a, a, a quirky little uh, like cherry bomb with a lit fuse. Mm-hmm. All of these things that communicate so much within a 32 by 32 grid uh, that made the Macintosh uh, an incredibly easy to use computer and made it you know kind of a smash hit when it came out in 1984 she'd essentially not only designed like the whole like graphical design language for the whole platform uh she worked on a lot of the marketing materials she designed a lot of the uh typefaces that would be pretty iconic there's a a typeface called chicago that like when you look at an old macintosh uh, or any old apple computer like it is the font that it used and she made that too uh, which is a kind of staggering, like the amount of contributions that she made to Apple is staggering. The amount of contributions she made to like vis- visual yeah, representations yeah. of things that we use and see every single day is like almost impossible to believe. Yeah. Um, just think about like a cursor, right? Like a mouse cursor. She designed a lot of the cursor elements for the Apple Macintosh. And you think about like, how much a cursor tells you based on how it kind of like contextually changes as you move it around a screen from things like uh, Susan Kerr designed the uh, I-beam cursor that appears whenever you scroll over text that you can change. Imagine like using a, you know, making a Google Doc and not knowing where the font is going to go in because you don't get that little I-beam cursor. It's, that's wild. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, she did a lot of other design stuff after Apple. She went on to, she designed the original car- cards for Solitaire for Windows 3.0. Oh my God. Which is just like, it's something that, I, I, you know, I know a lot of people of our generation probably have a lot of uh, fondness for. Oh, wow. I'm so glad you brought her because it's like, you don't think about the individual that does that stuff. And also the fact that she was so prolific. Yeah. She went on to uh, do a lot of design work for Facebook and for Pinterest. Now she's a design architect at uh, Niantic Labs, which is the developer of Pokemon Go, which fucking rips. Wow. Um, Her work can be seen in the MoMA at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science, and like I said, the Smithsonian uh, National Museum of American History. And I think she definitely belongs in all of those places, especially yeah. the Museum of American History, because it's uh, the the technology exhibit at the Museum of American History is like really fascinating yeah. because it, it runs the gamut from like uh, you know there's a whole uh, section about like Atari, uh, mm. and then there's a whole thing about sort of industrialization, uh, and then sort of sandwiched in the middle of that is just a little exhibit about. Susan Kerr's incredible, yeah. uh, influential design work that uh, has influenced the way that all of us use computers today. I, I think she's an absolute genius that her, her work is so pervasive that it's almost invisible, right? It's 99% invisible with uh-huh. Roman Mars. Uh, <laughs> it, she's an architect of these things that we interact with every, every day, right? Constantly. Uh, and, and so like, you don't take note of all of those little icons and cursors and typefaces and graphical user interface things, uh, uh, on a a daily basis. But then like, also when you think about the, the, 
the history of interacting with computers, the enormous footprint that she has in that is yeah. like gen- genuinely breathtaking. Uh, and I, I, I think that's kind of, I think that that is a level of talent that borders on the supernatural. Yeah. Um, and so that's Susan Kerr. I was really, really glad to learn about her. And uh, yeah. she, there's like a bunch of uh, like books, like art books that she uh, has released. I think the MoMA has like a book of some of her like most famous icons with like uh, the graph paper that she designed them on, that's which so I would cool. fucking love to see that. Um, but yeah, that's Susan Kerr. Thanks, Susan. Great, great job. <laughs> you crushed it. And you crushed it by listening to this episode of Wonderful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. See, I'm worried that doesn't sound sincere enough. We really appreciate it. (laughs) We really also appreciate Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Thank you to MaximumFun.org. Thank you to all of the listeners also who suggested that I play Stardew Valley for our bonus episode. Don't. I don't want to hear a single thought. I know. We've been very careful. We've been very careful. We've been tiptoeing around. A griffin around will be our, like, in our home. so what What day are you on? And I'll be like, hey, how do you um, do this? But I'm like trying to like save all of our great, great content yeah, for, for that the, bonus for episode. For the bonus episode of the Max Fun Drive, which is coming up soon. We'll tell you more about that uh, when, when it gets here. Uh, we have merch over at McElroyMerch.com. Please go check that out. Uh, and we just announced a, a virtual Mabimbam live show yeah. uh, that's going to be next month. Uh, all that stuff, go to McElroyFamily.com. You can check out uh, all of it. Do you want to mention links. the graphic novel? Oh, my God. Yes. Next next week? No, week after wait, the the 21st, I think. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, we have a new graphic novel that comes out. It's uh, The Adventure Zone 11th Hour. It's the adaptation of the fifth arc in the uh, Balance campaign, the first campaign for Adventure Zone. I'm really proud of it. I finally got it in last week, yeah. and it's, it's it's a big book. It's a big Carrie book. Carrie did a lot of drawing on this one, gang. It's so lovely, too. It's really gorgeous, and uh, I, I think if you like The Adventure Zone, you're going to really love it. So if you would think about pre-ordering it. Do you it, feel like it can kind of stand alone? I feel like there's a little bit about it that you can just kind of dip into. I mean, in the interest of pushing as many sales as is possible, <laughs> okay. I'm going to say yes, definitively. <laughs> but in an interest of pushing even more... More sales, I would say buy all five of them. Um, go to theadventurezonecomic.com. You can find a link to pre-order that. It really helps us out in uh, a huge way Yes, uh, with things like, you know, uh, charting on the big lists and yeah. uh, showing distributors how many copies of the books to order. We, we lean on pre-orders for a lot of that stuff because that's, I, I guess, the way the industry works. Theadventurezonecomic.com. Um, that's it though. That's gotta be it. That has to be it. Yes. That's it. This time we're done. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned something about yourself. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) What did you learn about yourself on this one? Oh man. Uh, I learned that I should probably, um, go pee before we start recording. Yeah. Uh I know that that's that's a a pro tip that you um swear by. Yeah, swear by and I uh need to learn because I'm sitting here right now and it is all I can think about. Do you want to stop? Do you want to stop the show so you can go I think that would be good. I just don't want to I don't want people to think that this is our new sign off. <laughs> 
you rushing to have a bathroom emergency. I will say from my perspective, it's a refreshing change of pace. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.